podcast. Welcome back, perhaps. This week, I spoke with Tracy McCubbin. She is an author. She has written two books, actually, and she also runs a organizing and decluttering company in Los Angeles. She's been featured all over on TV and radio and in print. She is a decluttering expert. She's an expert organizer, and she has a really unique ability to see through any mess with clarity and envision a clutter-free space. She has a very distinctive method around it, and I've actually learned so much from reading about her and reading her books and getting to know her a little bit. She came over to my apartment several months ago, which we talk about in this, and we honestly just had some lovely conversations, and you're about to hear one of them. I really, really like her. She is incredibly wise and has so many skills that I admire, including her time management and organizational skills. And I really look up to her and honestly, her perspective around aging and starting her business later in life. And she got married later in life, which we talk about a little bit in this and her process for decluttering and organizing and tidying and the way that she runs her life and the importance of connection and prioritizing experiences and people over objects. And I just really loved this conversation and, and truly, I I really, really like Tracy and I'm excited to, to get to know her more. So here's our conversation just recorded a few days ago. If you're listening to this, the day it comes out. And I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're listening to the show. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you at the end. Okay, Tracy, as I told you before I, I hit record, I am so happy to finally be having you on the podcast. This has actually been years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not exaggerating. We sort of connected and have been trying to do this and had a like a in-person and a yeah. in real life. And then yes, so I'm glad we're finally together here. Me too. Me too. And I and my preparation for this, I was starting to tell you, I've been spending the day with you listening to you in other places and rereading your books. And it's been it's been lovely. And I noticed that your birthday is coming up March 4th. It is. It is. It's very exciting. I like to say that my birth date is the only true sentence in the calendar, March 4th. It's, I love, it's a great, is that a, I don't even know much about astrology, but is that Pisces? No. Yeah. Yep. Pisces. 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 Yep. The only reason I know that is because I, I'm the next sign or maybe two signs away. I don't, I don't know enough, but somebody once told me that I, mine, which is Taurus and Pisces get along well. And it has yes. been true. Yes. That's totally true. That's funny. Th- like uh, one, two, three of my best female friends from long, long time are Tauruses. So funny. I would totally agree with that. I know. Is that funny? Yeah. yeah most of mine are Pisces. That. Huh? Wow. We just made a case for it. 
<laughs> wow. Okay. Well, you you've got a hard stop, and I've got copious notes, so we got we got to get going. But let's let's start with your the topic of, of your first book, which focuses on the impact of clutter on daily life, and I feel like that's just a kind of great intro to you and your approach and the way that you define clutter is as anything that gets in the way of what one wants to be doing, which differs a little bit from minimalism. And so I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit and how you came to that definition. And I'm also curious if that has grown or changed or evolved any now that you've been in business for so many years. Um, that's such a great question. You know, it came to me when I started this 17 years ago, decluttering was sort of a new conversation, you know, being tidy has always been a conversation, but like clutter. And I think we as a country world truly were coming into a time post manufacturing, moving to Asia, consumer goods, getting cheap. Like we just never had more stuff. Right. It's just there's never been a time in our history where homes have been so full. And what I started to see when people would call me is um, things like, oh, I just can't cook in my kitchen or I can't get dressed in the morning. It's just my closet is a disaster or my home isn't working. And what I realized is that, and this has definitely grown even more so the longer I do this, that it's less about how much stuff you have. Like there's sort of no recipe that you should have 30 books and four t-shirts and that doesn't work. But is, do you have more stuff than is making your home or your life or your time management work, right? Is all that stuff, all that clutter getting in the way of how you want to be living? And that's really where I came to define clutter as opposed to like, you just have too much stuff and it should all be rainbow coated. It's, it's what's working for you. And I think that that definition also can be really helpful to apply to people who are just living by themselves or are a family of five or have three generations in one household. You know, this sort of prescribed, it has to be look a certain way and be a certain way only really works for certain people. And I really wanted to expand what that definition was. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing that you taught me you taught me many things when you came here and it was so wonderful to have you in my space as you know i live alone in a studio apartment that has somewhat a, like a decent amount of storage and i don't have very many things but you know like anyone i have i have some things and there are i kind of showed you the the problem areas like a few of my closets and i mean there are two closets but one of them i keep closing <laughs> and the other one i i don't keep closing it has other things and one of them is something and i asked you if this is something that you're you see a lot and you were like yeah everybody has one of these i call it a surprise drawer my dear friend and your client captain calls it his general store. It's like basically <laughs> where you put things that you might want to give to people. So they could be re-gifts or they could be things that you buy that you just like have on hand if you need a gift or something that you're like holding to give to someone when it's the time. And between that and just like some other things I had around in those closets, you the thing that you really taught me is the importance of you weren't like, okay, these 
things need to go or anything like that with any of those areas, you just said, oh, you have to make a regular practice of decluttering. And that's just a real cornerstone of your work is making it a habit and making it a regular practice and addressing that, you know, there are some emotional attachments to things. But if you do it regularly, I think that sort of starts to lessen. So can you talk about that a bit? Oh, yeah. You know, when, um, when decluttering really exploded in the conversation about kind of personal development and how we live our lives and post Martha Stewart, the big voice in the conversation um, was Marie Kondo. And she was really leading with, you just do this once and then you're done. You just declutter your house once and then you're done. I have never seen that work. It doesn't work that way. We live life. You go out and you go to the store and you buy things and people gift you things and your mother sends you something and stuff is kind of constantly going in and out. And I think people really got stuck with this idea like, oh, I'm just going to declutter once and then that's going to be done and my house is going to be the way I want it to. Instead of understanding that no stuff comes in and stuff goes out. And you do have to stay on top of it. You have to sort of put a regular practice in and understand that decluttering is different than organizing is different than cleaning. And once people started to see that, that, oh, I'm not a failure because my house got full of more stuff than I wanted. It's like, oh, I actually have to just stay on top of this. I mean, look, the holidays happened not so long ago. We all got a bunch of crap we don't want. It's sort of taking those times and going, right, I got to just do a pass and let go of the things I'm not using. Yeah. I in preparing for this, I had a real watershed moment coming to this exact part of why I haven't you know, I'll, I'll like you said I, I'll do I'll do it somewhat frequently and and I definitely want to make sure we we dive into this a little bit more, but you and I have a very similar situation with the way that we grew up with stuff around us or how our how our family members have tendencies to have more stuff than we do. And so I feel like, you know, and I shared this with you, I've overcorrected for that in some ways where I have very few things and I'll give things away and and donate them to the point where I have to buy them again, like quickly sometimes. <laughs> um, but I but like I don't mind that. And you, you know, you talk about that in some ways too. And the the thing that you gave me as sort of homework, I don't even know if you remember this, but where my clothes are in the in the other closet, I don't have a dresser. Like I just don't have a dresser. And so you were like, maybe you can get one to fit in that other closet. So some things are hung and some things are in a dresser and you'll just be able to find things easier. So Tracy, I that was, I don't even know when that was. I think it was in the summer that you were here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Did so did you get a dresser? Recently. I finally <laughs> did. I finally set it up. But Tracy, it is sitting in the middle of my apartment and it has been sitting there for two weeks. <laughs> More than that, maybe. Maybe like honestly three or a month. And I just have been the the act of like, because I really want to do it right. I want to take everything out. I want to declutter and I want to really do. And I just, I know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Like whenever anyone's doing the closet clean out, like it, I'm going to need a couple hours. And I just have told myself, 
I can't today. I, the day I keep trying to do it, it's like, oh, well, I got to do this computer work thing first, or I got to do this or that, whatever. And I know I just need to put it on my calendar. But the thing I was going to ask you, like, why am I procrastinating? But I think you answered my question in, in these podcasts I listened to, but tell me if I'm wrong. But the thing that really helped me was this sort of three-step approach to decluttering, or not necessarily approach to decluttering, but like an order of operations where it's decluttering first and then organizing and then cleaning and tidying. And for some reason, that totally shifted things for me because I was like, okay, I just have to do this one part and then I move on to part two and part three, you know? And so anyway, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I think what gets people really frozen just where you are, you know, with dressers in the middle of their living rooms is this idea that, well, first of all, that I can only do this when I have the perfect amount of time and I can complete it from start to finish and it's going to be perfect. That That's just not life. It doesn't work that way. So when you can take a project like this and sort of peel it apart and go, oh, it's actually three prongs to get to the end result. All of a sudden you're like, oh, great. Okay. I can take on decluttering today. I can take on putting the dresser in there and put and organizing the things tomorrow. And then I can clean up around it. And I think when you break it down into a manageable project like that, all of a sudden you get unstuck. And I think, Kitty, it's so important what you said too, is this idea of it's going to get worse before it gets better. Like there's going to be a part when you're doing a decluttering and organizing project there's just a point where it's a disaster, like where you're just like, I should have just, I should have just left it because shit's everywhere and frustrated. And, you know, when I think people need to understand that. And also I think people need to really understand about their time capabilities. Like this is how much time I have to devote to this. You know, I don't have to eight hour days. So I can't give it 16 hours in a row. But when you break it down into decluttering, organizing and cleaning, you're like, okay, I can do this today. I can do that tomorrow. And somehow it becomes more manageable because I think, and I don't like to blame everything on social media, but we can blame a lot of stuff. (laughs) You know, I think that the, the challenge with looking at so much decluttering and organizing on social media is that there's no sense of how long a project really takes. You know, you just see the like fast frame or the before and afters and there's just no one's being transparent about the amount of time. So I think people dive into these projects and get really frustrated. Like, well, why isn't it the beautiful after? It's like, well, because you got to, you know, you got to like peel away and you've got to do the work. So I think we're, you know, being able to break it into three components and also to understand that it's going to get worse before it gets better means that you're able to dive in and get it done and not be paralyzed. Yeah, it's really interesting that that you brought up the time element of it because this is such a a great example of that cliche but so true with how you do one thing is how you do everything because mm-hmm. the way I'm approaching this, I had a friend who was helping me discuss some work challenges I was having and you know breaking down, you know, exactly what I wanted to do with my work and my business and creatively. And she pointed out something which is a criticism, but is just so true, which is I'm very bad at scoping. I, you know, and I think a lot of people are, but what I've noticed about myself with with computer work, like I have this this particular project where or honestly it could be like my emails or, you know, whatever. And it's gotten 
worse recently. And I think it's, it is because several years ago, I worked a full-time job and did everything I'm doing right now on the side of that. And I would do everything just in pockets of time, you know, like everything I'm doing now, as well as my full-time job, just in these little pockets of time, like a little bit here, a little bit there. Like it was, nothing was ever completed, but I was, you know, but, but since I now have so much more time and space, technically I somehow am doing less, which sort of scared me. And that's how that conversation started. But similar to the closet conversation where I'm like, well, I don't even want to start it because if I start it, I live here in a studio. It's just the one room. So if I if it's worse before it's better, I have to work and sleep and cook all with with that everywhere, you know, so I just have it wanted and that will be on my brain. But if it's all just like in my closet, then I don't have to think about it. And it's the same thing sometimes with starting projects where it's like this you know, let's say my emails, I don't even want to look at them because that way they'll be in my head where I can just, I'll save it for this, you know, <laughs> this like heaven day where I'm going to just have, right. I'm going to sit down and get it all done from start to finish. But when that never comes, I I just stay in the like medium. So I'm just going to have to, in both areas of life, just, just chip away at it and know that it might mean I'm living in chaos for a while, but that'll force me to like fix the chaos if I begin it, you know? Absolutely. And I was just, I was going to say a couple things about that one. Um, there's an old saying, and I don't know, I think somebody attributed it to Betty Davis and who knows if that's true, but you know, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy yes. person because it's when you're busy and you know, you live this when you're busy with another job and you're, you're like, well, this is the only time I have to do this. And then I, I have to get it done. And, and I think that when you have sort of a... The key to happiness is time management, being able to figure that out. And I think what you said about scoping, and especially when I, I talk about this, one of the things that I do when I come in or somebody from my team comes into somebody's house is that we scope it for them. We know how long it's going to take. They've booked the time out because they know we're coming. It's like, oh, okay, we have to get this done because this person is here. And so I think you, and we're paying them those things. So I think when you're sort of left with Morpheus time, we we fall under that magical thing of like, oh, well, the, ta- the time will just appear and it'll be perfect and I'll be able to do it. And it's like, no, you still have to make the time. It's almost like you have to sort of see yourself as that same kind of busy, right? Um, emails are just a thing too. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I accidentally, I don't even know how I did this. I don't even know how I did this. I moved my whole inbox into the trash. Congratulations. And, yeah. And it's kind of nice. I mean, yeah. I pulled everything out and made a dummy folder in case there's something I guess I need. It was like 5,000 emails. And I'm like, you know what? I had to, it's been a week now and I've only had to find one and I knew where to look for it. And it was so freeing. <laughs> it was so free. And they're all there, right? They're all there somewhere. It's not like they're lost forever, but they're just not in my face. Like I only have 30 emails in my inbox instead of 5,000. And so... You know, I think it's looking at projects in um, in chunks that we can do, in chunks that we can do. Yeah, totally. And I think that, yeah, that's been a long-term situation for me. And I'm really trying to, like this, I need to, need to implement exactly what you're saying. When Norma Kamali did the podcast, she said, the more you do, the more you can do. And I think it, it's anytime you 
start doing something, it builds it. You just get into a habit and it's not as big of a deal. Like it's, you don't blow it up in your brain to something more intense than it actually is. But the more time that passes and you're not doing it, the more, the bigger it becomes and it snowballs. And yeah, I think part of your approach is really useful. Well, and that, that's, it's such a great one when it comes to clutter, you know, the longer, like you said, the longer you go without doing it, the bigger the thing it becomes. And that's so true with clutter. Like the longer you go on with dealing with it, you know, like if you're not opening your mail or dealing with your paperwork, it becomes a bigger problem, right? You get laid on things and you missed all these things or food expires because you haven't eaten it, you know, all it can kind of apply to that. But if you're not sort of staying on top of it regularly, my husband and I just had this conversation. He loves to go to Costco. And I'm like, there's two of us. Like, like he was like, oh, I can get that at Costco. And I'm like, yeah, but we don't need eight of them. Like, I can't throw that food away anymore. And he's like, but I'm saving money. And I'm like, but you're not because we're throwing money away. Like, it may seem like it's cheaper, but we're buying larger quantities that we don't really have the space for and we're not eating it. So it was sort of kind of backing, backing into it. And I think you know, that it's definitely that way with your stuff and clutter, like ignoring it's not going to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's true emotionally with emails, with work things, with bills, with, I mean, it's again, how you do one thing is how you do everything. It's such a good, that's such a good one. I actually heard you speak with Terry Cole about how you Mm -hmm. reorganized your pantry and had this reaffirmation of how our homes are tools and they should support you. And it completely changed, you know, how you ended up eating and what you ended up eating that week. Can you talk about that a little bit and the uh, importance of having the home feel both comfortable for you and uncomfortable to invite people into? Okay, interrupting this episode, talking about spatial organization to tell you about someone who's helped me immensely, an organizer of digital spaces. So you might remember Jezebel, my friend, from several episodes ago, an episode last year called Sorry for the Late Response. And in that, we spoke about the emotional and mental toll our email inboxes can have on us. Unread emails, when they're mixed in with a mountain of junk, can feel so precious, and we end up never replying to any of them and avoiding our inbox altogether because the thought of opening it is just too much. And this is where Jezebel comes in. She helps us turn chaotic and overwhelming inboxes into playful, anxiety-free spaces that we actually want to spend time in. She transformed the inboxes of so many people, myself included, as well as Carrie Lynn Palmer, previous guest of this podcast, and so many more. And it could it could be you too. She has this step-by-step process that she takes people through in her inbox class and it is really approachable. She breaks it down into these bite-sized modules so you won't get overwhelmed by the process and you'll learn how to declutter and organize and automate your inbox. But what I loved most about my experience of working with her is her focus on visual cues like colors and symbols to add creativity back into your inbox space. So check out what she's able to do and I I really am so grateful to know her and have gotten to know through her what's even possible for Gmail to look like and be a place that, you know, really is better to spend time in than I ever could have imagined. 
In our podcast episode, she talked about one of the main reasons why inboxes are so overwhelming and how platforms like Gmail set you up with all these default settings that you actually don't need. So one of the modules in her inbox class is about tweaking these default settings. It takes about 10 minutes and you'll get rid of 50% of unnecessary visual clutter. And I swear just that one change can change your entire inbox experience for the better. You can grab that module for free, actually, by going to the link in the show notes and scrolling down to the inbox class page. And if that free module convinces you to grab the full class, which I have a feeling it might, I'll just say it, you can use the code, let it out to get 20% off. Okay, back to my episode with Tracy. Thank you, Jezebel. If your inbox is triggering anxiety like mine was for me, organizing it with Jezebel's class is going to completely transform the relationship you have to your inbox. Let me know what you think or if you have any questions at all. I've talked about it in, definitely in the second book. And, you know, this idea of sort of the home and what the home meant, you know, as we, as we evolved when we were cave people, it was a place for shelter and then kind of moved on. And there was extreme classism, right? So there was the royalty and the peasants and there was no middle class and that's how people lived. And then all of a sudden became the advent of the middle class and the home started to become this place that you basically showed off that you had money, right? We're not poor. We may not be the royalty, but we're not poor. So we can have all these things that don't have a use. And so our home, our home, you know, I like to use the example of like Yadro, you know, or those precious moment figurines, right? These things that you buy that have no use other than nice to look at, and they show your social status. And I really think especially 80s and 90s, like we just got so deep into that, right? And and really lost touch that our home is a tool. It's a place that we rest, that we replenish ourselves, that we, you know, we have people over and connect and get that spirit. And when you start to look at, and this is not to say your home shouldn't be beautiful to you. I mean, I love design. I love form and function. I love art. You know, my house is full of, has a, not full, but has some things that I love and are there for purely decoration. But we also use my home. Our home is a place that we do all the things that we need to do to take care of ourselves. And really, when I got into thinking about that in terms of the pantry and, you know, going into people's kitchens and like the countertops are covered with seven small appliances that they don't use any of them. And it's like, well, you don't even have a place to chop vegetables. And understanding that the kitchen was a place that I wanted to be able to cook and nourish myself and my husband. And we just moved a couple months ago and I really set up this kitchen with that in, in mind. And it's been so lovely. And we've been cooking more than we've ever been cooking and farmer's market and all the things that matter to us. So I think when people, yes. I want your home to be beautiful, but sometimes I think people are so far down this rabbit hole about what their home has to look like instead of how their home functions. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I think I can sometimes even like unrelated to clutter. And I'm I'm curious what issue you if you if you can define pinpoint maybe what this is, but sometimes I I can feel like my apartment's like a set, not like I want, not like even that people are coming over or that, you know, I'm like posting about it, anything like that. It's just for me to sit down and work. I kind of have to have everything 
put away and in its perfect spot and cleaned up. And, you know, it goes back to that same, like, no wonder I'm bad at scoping because you can't, you know, I got to clean my apartment 8 million times. And so (laughs) I don't know. It's like, I I want to get, get it exactly what you're saying. Like, but, but really it's just like, it should be about making it comfortable for me and making it feel, yeah, just somewhere. Yeah. I don't know that, that unlocked something for me. I do. Yeah. And I do think I have that too. I think one, it's a, for me, it's a bit of a procrastination and I I can definitely fall into that. Well, I can't do this. I I have this, I work out, still work on all the time. Like I can't do this thing until everything else is perfect. And I want everything in its right place and it to look like this. And, and over time and living and doing this job for so long, it's like, it's never going to be perfect. Like I've been in perfect houses, right? I've been in those houses that have unlimited finances and are giant and have designers and a house manager and housekeepers. And, you know, the plumbing still breaks, the garage door doesn't right, open. Right. Like, like understanding that it's the home is a sort of mechanical, almost living place that's never going to be perfect. And so we, when we get into that mindset of like, I'd rather have it be done than wait for it to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Or started in, even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and, and, and that's one of the things that I talk to people a lot when we start working with them too is what's your end game? What's your goal? Like, what, why do you, why do you want your house to be cluttered? Why do you want to change it? You know, and lots of times it's, I mean, it can be everything from we, we may have to have my mom move in or I just want some empty space or we want to turn the garage into a game room. You know, just the looking at the goal of it. And I think that when we face our everyday, or the work things we want to get done or the projects we want to get done. What's the why? Because when you focus on the why, you're like, oh, right. That's why I want to get it done. It will, I want to write this book or I want to paint this painting or I want to bake this cake or I want to get this new job because of this. It, it makes it easier to reach your goal. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. In your second book, you talk about why we accumulate possessions and you were starting to, you know, talk about it more broadly from a historic perspective. And it's something that I remember growing up hearing my mom say all the time of like, I don't stuff just accumulates. I don't know how it accumulates. And what was so (laughs) funny is I was like, oh my God, Tracy answers that question right here. It's just a book about it. Um turns out. But can you elaborate on the acquisition cycle and how that relates to to clutter and, and decluttering habits? Yeah, this was so interesting. So I, you know, been professional declutter and organizer for 17 years now, and I have 10 people working for me. And, you know, and I have a lot of, I would see a lot of repeat clients. And some of them would be because their lives changed, they moved, they had a baby, they got divorced, you know, life stuff. But it really sunk in, in the middle of the pandemic. And I had already started to write this book, but I got a text from a client and she said when we were first able to go back into people's homes and she said remember all that stuff we decluttered the first time she's like well i bought it all again and then some and i and it was such a light bulb moment where we can't talk about decluttering if we're not talking about our acquisition because the stuff gets in your house some some way. And it's not just the buying of it. It's people gifting or or grabbing free things or, you know, anything like that. So to really go to the next level in 
managing your clutter, you have to look at why you are bringing things in. Why are you shopping? And it's everything from exactly what I was talking about, like evolution. You know, we were, we're biologically hardwired that when we used to live on the tundra or the Serengeti and we saw an apple tree, right? We get a huge hit of dopamine telling us to grab those apples because we didn't know when we were going to find food later. Well, we haven't evolved out of that. So we get that same hit of dopamine when we go to Target. Like it's like we go to Target thinking we've killed a woolly mammoth for our family and we have to buy. And so we get addicted to that dopamine cycle, right? And it stops working. So you have to buy more. It's added to the fact that consumer goods have gotten so cheap. It's just cheaper now to buy something new than to fix it. So nobody repairs anymore. Nobody takes their shoes to the cobbler. Nobody sews a button back on. So we've gotten in that cycle of everything's just disposable. And then there are just all these emotional components that we use shopping to fill our sense of purpose, our sense of who we are. I mean, self-respect. I just, I don't know when we thought when we thought when we became a society that we now pay top dollar to advertise somebody else's things. We pay so much money to carry a Fendi bag or wear a Louis Vuitton t-shirt. Like we've become these walking billboards and they've convinced us to spend all this money to advertise them. Like when did that happen? I mean, I know when it happened in the 90s, but it's just amazing to me. So sort of looking at what's the missing pieces that we're trying to fill with the shopping and it doesn't work. Yeah. It's a, it's a temporary high. What's interesting is like, as you were saying, I'm like, I go to the cobbler like all the time. We're like, (laughs) and and also, (laughs) you know, I like couldn't be less interested in having those sorts of, like I literally take off the, even the Levi's thing on my jeans. I like have a seam ripper and I take it off. I just don't, I don't like that, that stuff. But so I'm, I'm wondering, do you think there'll be a, I mean, maybe there already is, but a, a backlash of that. Like, will there be, where do you think this is going? I guess. Of, I do. Of consumerism I, think, I, and- I think there's a backlash. I mean, I'm a, I'm Gen X and I think my niece is 23. So what's that make her Gen Z? Is that right? Yeah, I forget I all so. the, yeah. And she and her friends shop secondhand, like proudly, like yeah, I think not even. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, and I think that um, have no problem. You know, when I moved into my first apartment out of the dorms in college, like I bought everything at the thrift store. Didn't and those were those were also the days when things at the thrift store were like five dollars and they weren't picked over. And it was no, we thought it was fantastic. And then IKEA came along and Crate Barrel and you know everybody's buying all this new stuff. So I'm really seeing in the the younger you know, the sort of, even the 30 year olds, even like the 30 year olds who work for me, go and buy, go to Wasteland and go to Buffalo Exchange. And I think, I think that we're starting to see that. And I think that people are getting really overwhelmed on social media and the influencing and the you have to have this and the idea that this one thing that you buy is going to fix all your problems. So I think we're already starting to see it. Um, I saw this post on social media, on Instagram the other day. And this woman, you know, those big TV cabinets that we all used to have when TVs were big, huge tube TVs and they were like pine and you'd pull a little tray out. 
So this woman found one at a thrift store and painted it and turned it into a coffee corner in her house. And it was the cutest thing I saw. Like she put a shelf in and she had her coffee maker and she loved it. And people just dragged her in the comments. You painted over that beautiful wood. I'm like, okay, first of all, that's not wood. That's walnut veneer. And that thing would have been in the dump. Like, you know, there was just this very weird to me, I, w- I was so surprised at that reaction. But then there were a ton of people who were like, good for you. Like you gave that thing a second life. Yeah. So I do think we are seeing a sea change. I really do. Yeah. I mean, that's how I am. That And every friend that, that I know, kind of regardless of, of age, and I'm, I'm in my early 30s and my friends are, you know, over and young, like all over ages, but every kind of everyone that I, I spend time with, I, you know, we go to, we all go to the Rose Bowl pretty much every month and we go to the Long Beach Flea and it's just kind of, it's like our mall. <laughs> like it's just kind of the yeah. way we, and I guess that's just kind of my small bubble here. I don't know, that's know not though. World, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think in your generation and younger, I think it really is spreading out. I mean, and then we see 10 year olds, you know, going to Sephora and that whole thing where you're just like, what is that? So I do have hope. I do think that people are realizing and seeing how much stuff they throw away. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping that it's going to be a change. And there's, you know, it's, no one, I don't know. I, I love it. I love the movement. I love, love seeing the younger generations do this. I think it's fantastic. I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and, the weather changed suddenly. And I was, if anyone is in practice, you know, travels to New York, it's like when the weather changes and you didn't bring the right coat and it's not yeah. even about fashion. It's like, literally, I do not have the right gear. So I was like, yeah, oh, the temperature <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As my brother likes to say, there's no bad weather. There's just bad gear. Yeah. <laughs> and I was walking back to the apartment we were renting and there was a, they have something called housing works in New York, which is a like out of the closet yeah. at thrift store. And I popped in and got a fantastic etro, like sort of puffer hunting jacket in for $25. I was like, yeah. this is great. You know, so I, I, I do think that that is starting to happen more. And that's very encouraging to me. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, it's always been happening too. Like you talk about one of my favorite things that you talk about is the X test of, you know, <laughs> if you want to go back to get something that you left it with an X and you tell a story about a vintage jacket that that you loved, which I'll let you tell. But like, I think, you know, we've been sh- we've been thrifting and like wanting to have vintage clothes. Like I always say everything looks a little bit silly when it's new. Like I don't like wearing something new. I I rather it be worn in or wearing it in a little bit myself before people see me in it. And I think that it it is that is good that more people you know that you know for the environment for all those reasons but at the end of the day like one of the most interesting thing that the way that you talk about it in terms of dopamine and in terms of hunter gatherers and that primal sense of wanting a reward for you know finding the pear tree in the middle of the forest it's almost more so like going to the flea market or like I I see myself getting addicted to Depop and and it, and it sort of feels like, well, I can just resell it. And it's like, yeah, you can, but but it might take a while and you might not. And you don't really need that now. And it's, it still has that emotional aspect of, of shopping. So I'm going to employ a lot of your strategies of changing my language from saying 
I need and taking that away. And you give another one about sleeping on anything that you want to buy. That's more than $50. But can you talk a little bit about like the brain chemistry of that? Because that goes beyond the, you know, whether you're buying something new or not, right? Yeah. So it, it really is when you acquire, when you buy something. And I do agree with you. I do think the the thrill and the hunt of the of the thrifted items, right? That's such a thrill when you find like this jacket I found was like an etro jacket. I'm like, why does someone get rid of this? This is fantastic. Like you, you know, you get that. And the way that dopamine works, whatever method you use to get it, a cigarette, food, a glass of wine, a shopping, right? That you get the hit of dopamine and then you do it again, hoping to get that same and it stops working. So you have to do more of it. Right. That's that's sort of how that works. So if you can understand that that's what's happening, that in a weird way, it is a little bit out of your control, then you can rewire your brain or change your habits. And one of the big ones and you brought up and this this changes everything. We walk around all the time saying, well, I need a new pair of jeans or I need a I need a pair of cowboy boots or I need a new whatever. And there are very, 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 very few of those things that you actually need. Most of them, probably 90% you want. You just want it, which is fine. We have wants. But changing your language to say, I want. I uh, We're getting ready to take a trip to Florida. And I got in my head that I needed a pair of kind of low, sparkly gold, Palm Beach shoes. And I was like, Oh, I need these. And I was looking at really expensive ones. And then I was like, Nope, stop. You don't need them. You want them. You want to dress the costume of Palm Beach. Totally fantastic. You just want them. And then I went on and I found them on sale on Poshmark and somebody had worn them once. And I was like, Great. I didn't have to have the newest, most expensive, shiny thing. So I think when you swap that word, it, it takes the grip away. And it's so helpful because you're not beating yourself up and you're not, you're just saying like, I don't need it. I just want it. And oftentimes with a want or a craving, it goes away. And also sleeping on it. Like you said, I, for myself, I wait 24 hours for every $100 in item costs. So if it's $300, 48 hours, some people do it for 50. Some people do it for 25. And you just get through that. Um, you get through that desire. Like I, I'm, I'm, in a bad mood today, or I'm lonely today, or I'm feeling something I got, you know, slighted at the grocery store, I'm going to buy something to make myself feel better, kind of forces you to work through those feelings without rewarding yourself with buying something. And I heard somebody say something, and I thought this was interesting. She said that she only buys things from Amazon on Fridays, that mm. she doesn't she only does an Amazon Friday shopping and she does it once a week and she doesn't, she makes a list and she doesn't go to Amazon. She doesn't even go and put it in her cart. She makes a list, I guess on a piece of paper or her phone. And then on Fridays goes in and then what she said, she said it cut her Amazon shopping by like three quarters because she just wasn't like, Oh, it's at Amazon. Oh, it's at Amazon. Oh, I'll just buy it from Amazon. I'll just Amazon it. I'll just Amazon it. When she set a time limit and picked a day, she just wasn't knee jerk reaction shopping. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. What if you sleep on it? Let's say like, for example, there's 
I will get hyper fixated on something and I know I don't need mm. it, but I keep looking at it and I keep looking for it. It's such a waste of time. And I'll just like be on Depop finding it and finding it and finding it and harding it and whatever. What if date, like there's a particular item and days and day, like maybe a month I've kind of been hyper fixated on it. Like, should I just buy it? Like, or yeah, is, is I mean, that- I think, but I think it's also my mom, my mom and I have said this for years. We always talk about like, you've got a big event coming up and you're nervous about the event or you're going to run into an ex or you're going to see something. And, and all you do is fixate on what are you going to wear? Right. Totally. Sometimes I, I think that that fixation is about avoiding something else we don't want to face. And look, I, I understand there's a purse I'm looking for and I'm looking everywhere for it. And, you know, things are very stressful right now in my life and my business. And there's a lot of exciting things happening. But somehow I feel like if I can find this purse mm-hmm. used <laughs> and discounted, I have control over my life. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, the world can't be falling apart. I found this purse at a good price. And so sometimes I think for me and others that that hyper fixation is it's something that we can control. So if other things are feeling out of control, it's like, well, if I can find this, you know, early 90s Ralph Lauren sweater on Depop, then I all will be right with the world. You know, um, during 2008 recession and during the Great Depression 1920s, the the number one non-essential item was lipstick. Like lipstick sales went through the roof. And I think it was because people, it was something they could still afford. It was something that felt a little fancy and celebratory. And it probably felt like, okay, things aren't that bad. I can still buy a lipstick. So sometimes for me, and I have it, I know exactly the trajectory. I think that hyper fixation about buying a certain thing is that I want to, I feel so out of control in other areas. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I think I, I often get that even with, um, it it could be an ex or just like, honestly, like a person I haven't seen in a while that I, I guess I don't do this with friends really, but so like, I guess it is probably if you've had some sort of romantic entanglement with, but you know, you're going to just see them when you haven't seen them in a while. I, I get into this sort of as if it was, I went away for summer vacation and I came back someone new, you know, or like uh-huh. how, the like before and afters that were in all the rom-coms I grew up on. Like, you know, uh-huh. I used to be this, but now I'm not like, and it's so silly. I think I still have that. And I, I can even notice it, but I also notice that like the times I'm doing that on on Depop are when I have no energy, when I like literally have, I can't even focus on anything else. It's a, it's a thing I do to during the buffering time or to sort of dissociate. And that's very telling of, of it as well, of like when I'm turning to that coping habit. And I think what I found so useful about this part of your, your work and your ethos around this is you, we know that we're just trying to fill a gaping wound within us, right? When we're, or it's about yeah. something else. We know we're trying to fill the need and we know that that might temporarily give us a hit of dopamine, but we know it's fleeting. What we really need to do is like, what else can we fill that with? And so you talk about the impact of being of service. And I would love for you to to unpack that a little bit. But one thing I heard you say on a podcast that just like super hit me hard is writing and tell me if I got this right, but I'm pretty sure you said writing a handwritten thank you note can increase your dopamine levels 
and it will last for 30 days. Is that right? Yeah. And that was from, that came from, I heard that uh, Dr. Lori Santos, who wrote The Happiness, what did she write? The, ha- yeah, the, ha- yeah. she has the, ha- the Happiness Lab. Um, and she, by the way, th- for anybody out there, she has an amazing free course on Corsica. And it's the course that she taught at Yale. And it's called The Science of Happiness. And I, I take it. Everyone should take it. It's oh my God. That's free. such a good tip. It's- yeah six weeks and she does all these scientific things to hack your happiness and things that work. And she was the one she, you know, she's a social scientist in that PhD and she um, talks a lot about burnout. And she was the one that said a handwritten thank you note. And, and she also goes back to which everybody says the sort of pillars that we know, right. Exercise, uh, being outside, being in nature, connecting with other people and having gratitude. And, you know, they, they've done so many studies on people in who have a regular prayer practice or a meditation practice and how, how much healthier they are. And the science is all behind there. And so I think when you realize that that simple thing, like writing someone a handwritten thank you note, because in that process, you're acknowledging you're having gratitude for them like raises your own happiness. And that's where being of service is. And I think it's more than just making a donation. Um, I think it's just kind of doing, I had lunch with a client of mine who's been a client for a long time and is getting, we just moved her into senior living and, you know, it's just this big change for her. And I mean, I moved her out of her house when her husband passed and then I moved her into a condo and now I've moved her here. And I just took her out for lunch the other day and, I mean, I unbelievably enjoy her company. She's so smart and we laugh all the time. And, you know, it was just to go and meet her in front and walk her. And we had to walk slow. It was a block away and she's on a cane and held my arm. And we sat and had turkey sandwiches and just laughed. And and not that I see that necessarily being of service, but in a way it's like, you know, to get her out. And, you know, we kept joking, I was going to bust her out of the old age home and just to connect with someone who had such fantastic stories. And it it just reminds us that when we connect with other people and when we like, look, was going to lunch with somebody in the middle of the week, you know, it's not, it's like, okay, I got to drive out there and I got to, you know, I really can use this time and I should be answering emails. But afterwards it was so, I just felt so great just from everything she gave me and to be there. And so I think that when we look at being of service, it's like, just, do something nice for somebody else. Get you out of yourself, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I'm like feeling really emotional hearing your that story for some reason. Um, I, oh, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think like the. I, I think about that all the time, and I mean that's built into probably every world religion, and it's, and it's deep within the twelve steps of of being of service. And I think it's something that I realized several years ago of like, oh, and it sounds. It's I know it's so simple, and maybe everyone like came out of the gate knowing this, but I really had to learn it like somewhat recently that when you help another person, when you are present with another person, when you are genuinely kind, it's not altruistic really for me. It's just like completely selfish. I feel better. And, and, Uh, and yeah. Yeah. And that's like how we're wired and I need it and And, I I crave it. Yeah. Well, they've, you know, and they've done, 
uh, there's so many studies on longevity and people who live the longest and the people who live the longest are literally like the ladies who walk with the same ladies that they've walked with for 30 years and they walk three times a week. And then they, because in that, not only are you getting exercise and being connected, but you're also like, Oh, Carol's husband's sick. Let me make some soup. Like, like, yes, we do. Um, we do get something out of doing nice things for people and that's okay. Like, great. Yeah. And, and so much of that, when those realizations happen too, is you realize it's never about the stuff, right? Yeah. Like when you sort of are with somebody and I would venture to guess, you know, you going to Long Beach flea market with your friends is probably more about the drive down there and where are we going to get a coffee? And everyone's sort of talking about their shenanigans or who they're dating as much as it is finding that sweater. Right. That that must is like, when are we going to meet them? And that whole community and connection and we're a tribe and we're doing the same thing. I think that it's probably as much, if not more, about that activity. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, this is this is really hitting me hard. I feel like this is a this has become a therapy session for me because <laughs> I, I've noticed that like when my and currently this is sort of the case when I have my career is sort of in a malleable place or I just have a lot, of, I feel kind of backed up. Like, you know, my, my, as I said, the dresser that you've told me to get is in the middle of my floor and I need to answer emails and I'm, I'm starting all these new projects and it kind of feels like I'm on the, it's crunch time. Like it's like now or never for like getting, you know, some like making money and getting some things off the ground, which maybe is true. Maybe is, maybe is in my head. Who knows? Maybe a little bit of both, honestly. But what I'm noticing is every time I'm, hanging out with my friends or like any sort of quality time I'm because I feel like I'm always working and never working in a way I am like uh, mm-hmm. this let's get the keep this tight because I really should be working it's Saturday and I really should be working and it's this time and I really should you know and having that homework in the back of my homework hanging over my head every day it's like I've got to deprogram that because it's not allowing me to be present with people and that's why we're here not to you know I'll figure out the rest or I won't or whatever or I need to like spend some time doing that so I can be, you know, whatever it is, but yeah, it's the, the quality. But can you I always think about it? Go, but go full circle with that because absolutely. And by the way, you and I, I mean, we're having therapy together because I'm the same way. I'm like, I should always be working. My husband was just gone for six weeks for work. And he, you know, I was like, I just worked every night. Like that's just what yeah. I did every yeah. night that he was gone. I just worked. And did I get any more than I, I'm getting the same amount done now that he's home and we're stopping and eating dinner and, you know, rewatching the Sopranos and hanging out. And so I think that this idea that when we have all the time in the world, we're going to get everything done. We're not. And when we compress our time, we actually tend to be more efficient. And that that part of connecting with friends and seeing friends and, um, that's as much a part of it as like answering all the emails. I almost think more. I think that's the stuff that keeps us healthy, right? Oh my God, you're so right. And I mean, the other thing is that when you, when I think back to like days I remember, like what is it going to be? The day that I like tried really hard to get some emails done and didn't get enough done or the day that I didn't do any and hung out with a friend, like that's going to be stick in my memory and I mean, this I is say so- that I, yeah, I say this all the time. I think about, you know, my grandmother who I was very lucky. She lived to be 101. We were very close. I saw her all the time, even when I, you know, we grew up and, and I cannot tell you, I, I literally cannot tell you one thing she ever bought me. 
I can't tell you a gift she, and I know she gave me gifts, right? Like it's not that she never gave me a gift. I just can't remember any of them, but I can remember like going and having Mexican food together. I can remember driving her around after Easter, delivering lilies from the church service to people who couldn't get to church that day. Like I remember all, I remember so many activities and I cannot tell you one thing she bought me. Yeah, same. And I feel the same way about my grandparents and my parents and 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 you have spoken about this and I felt so seen by this part of a conversation about giving and receiving. Like I don't want gifts from anyone and <laughs> and I feel like in the the way that you talk about that or you have spoken about like normalizing asking for, you know, the thing that you want in terms of gifts and I think that's that's so useful to your exact point of like you don't even remember it anyway and it's it really comes down to the time with people is is much much more important and you know this is so funny like i'm i'm knowing that i only have five uh, six i'm doing mental math um seven more minutes with you or whatever it is um <laughs> and the thing i wanted to talk to you about most i should have led with <laughs> but <laughs> you started your business you know a bit later this current business a bit later in your life and you you just inspire me so much and when you were here we had just incredible conversations about dating and about time like we were talking about here and beyond you know your your the topic of your work just how your life trajectory has shaken out so you know i hope you come back but maybe you could just sort of leave us with some any advice on you know you were kind of alluding to it there and I'm I'm bringing up Norma Kamali again because she met her fiance when she was 70 and she I I asked her sort of the same thing. I think I told you this when you were here too of like I've now lived by myself and been single for so long that like you were saying I kind of do what you did when your husband was out of town every day. So I'm nervous that I'm going to not be able to like get out of that mode. And so anyway, I would just love to hear a little bit more about your trajectory of like getting into this business and, you know, you were single throughout that time and then also morphing into being in a relationship and having this business. Yeah. So first of all, you will, when you meet the person that you want to partner with, you will be able to make the adjustments. That's, that's when you know it. Like that's what she said too. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'm willing to, you know, I, I always joke that, you know, some people like knew they wanted to be a veterinarian and loved animals and went to college and went to vet school and became a veteran. That was not my life. My life was doing things that I was interested in and realizing they were what I didn't want to do. So my life, and that included my dating life, right? That included being with partners and then like, oh, yeah, no, this is not my person. And um so I didn't get married till 58. I, uh, we're coming up on our year anniversary. And I started my business at 41. And I really, when I look back, I realized that everything that I did before this came, led me here. Like it wasn't a matter of, oh, that was wrong. Or I made the wrong choice. Or I wasted time doing that job or dating that person. It was like all of it with things that I tried, I gleaned information and it led me here. So I think there's so much pressure, especially on, you know, younger generations to like, you should know what you want to do and you should know your major and you should take on $220,000 in student loan debt to go to college. And, and there's so much stopping to be room for experiences and understanding that you may go do a job and it may you may not like it 
And that doesn't mean that it was a mistake doing it, right? That that I think that our collection, I think our life at the end and and um, is a collection of all of our experiences and to look at it that way and to, you know, and to always be seeking, of course, but to understand that sometimes you're just going to do a job. We, we're, we have a house right now and we like it. We don't love the neighborhood and there's just some things about it. And we had a friend of ours who was over who's a architect and is very talented and it, we, we love him. And we were sort of saying like, ah, you know, we just don't really like, I don't know, we're just not sure. And he was like, you know, sometimes a house is just a way station to the next place you're going. Mm. And it was like, oh, right. But like sometimes a job, you're just gathering experience for the next thing. And so for me to get to where I am now, almost 60, um, and to know that everything, every experience I had mattered in some way, and that it was the collection of the experiences and not the collection of the things. And so I think when people can look at it that way, we also put our energy into things that we want to do. That's also something else I've learned. When there's something I don't want to do, I just don't give it the time and energy. And I've started to learn, oh, no, you have to say no to that because you're not giving it the time that you want. And that's a tough one for me. That's tough because I can't say no to anything. Mm, Yeah, I I relate (laughs) to that. I know we only have a couple more minutes, but your perspective around aging also really inspires me and how you speak about anti-aging. Could you just share any, any thoughts you have on that? Yeah. Anti-aging. You know what anti-aging is, Katie? Dead. That's what anti-aging is. Like, I don't understand how that's become a marketing tool, right? If you're not aging, you're dead. So this thing... And, you know, if there was a magic fix, we would have... I mean, yeah, plastic surgery and all this kind of stuff. But just this idea that we're fighting the thing. And look, I, you know, I, I like, of course I dye my hair and I get Botox and I do some things to make myself feel better, but I don't not acknowledge where I'm at. And I do think that there's an amazing movement going on right now. I'm seeing it, um, in social media and a friend of mine has a company like around a real conversation around menopause and that never happened before. And so I think people are starting to we're living longer and we're better and healthier than we've ever been. And I just, just don't get why people don't want to age because, you know, life, it's like your life, life is great. And it just means you have all these experiences. And I think that playing into that consumerism of anti-aging and look, I fall for it. And don't ask me how many sunscreens I have. I have too many. Mm-hmm. I like two. Why do I have six? Right. <laughs> but maybe this one, maybe this is going to be the perfect one. <laughs> Yeah. And we all fall, we all fall prey to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, I oddly the topic of my newsletter is sort of like around this. And anyway, I'll send it to you because this yes, I, please. I quoted you with this because it just I think it it there come and I'm wondering if you remember this happening too, but you know, all of my 20s and my 30s so far, I didn't even like consider aging or my body or like that it was happening. I was just like, well, everyone's young and like someday I'll be old. Like, I don't know. I didn't like consider it at all. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, it's like hap- it's starting. Like, here we are. Cool. You know, it's just it, it you know, sort of hits you. And, and I think generationally, too, there's just seems to be more talk about the different generations than there. And, and I don't know, maybe you can tell me this. Um I'm properly a millennial, unfortunately, but when I was 
in my early 20s as a millennial, I was aware that Gen X was above me, but I that you know gen z is like oh millennials are the worst or like they kind of have this whole thing and and i don't remember i thought gen x was cool like i didn't really like their music's better like i i don't i didn't really have that so i don't know it's just i'm noticing the divide in generations more than i ever have before but maybe that's just the age i'm at no i think it's more and i think i think it's also because you know I think this is where social media comes in, that it's a conversation that's out there more than ever. And the upside of that is, you know, the upside is, you know, all these women have found a community to talk about menopause that never existed before. That's amazing. The downside is we're all sort of turning into like, you kids get off my lawn, yeah. right? That we sort of have to crap on what's below us. And I, for me, I don't, you know, I, I'm so lucky that I get to work with people of all ages. And I, I just think everyone has something to offer. And I, and I think part of that Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z is also, we're all looking for our tribe, right? We want to identify as something. So if we know that we have this shared experience with other humans, I mean, that that to me is a big part of the menopause community, where all of these women are like, I've never felt better, but I've also never felt worse. And oh, I'm not alone. It, it, it's we're just looking again, full circle, right? We're just looking for that connection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, thank you for connecting with me. I know you have to run, but I, I think you're incredible. So the name of the show is Let It Out. And I, I always ask people before we we end taking a deep breath and letting it out together. But is there anything else that you wish that I would have asked you that you never get to talk about? I'll have links to all your books and social media and where people can find you and everyone should get themselves a, a hard copy. Um, but but yeah, anything you anything you want to leave people with? No, I think that maybe I just have to come back or you and I and or you and I need to go have lunch at Kitchen Mouse. I so, would love it. I would love it. Yes. <laughs> yes to to both. <laughs> and I'll, my Great. closet will be done by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna if it's not done in two weeks, call me and I'll come over and help you carry oh, the dresser in. So. God, you're you're incredible. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's inhale with the the deep, deep breath. Inhale. Let it out. Oh. <sighs> Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much. I know you have to run. I'll let you go, but we'll talk soon. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Sorry to keep you. Bye. Okay. That was my episode with Tracy. Get yourself a hard copy of both of her books. Follow her on social media. I really hope she comes back. I, like I said, I really like her and so much of what we spoke about in here was really useful and eye-opening and I will be thinking about moving forward and to be honest with you the cabinet the dresser of sorts that I my friend Tom so lovingly helped me to build it's it's still in the middle of I'm staring at it right now it's in the middle of my room my apartment and you know I haven't done it but I'll say it here to all of you publicly and privately <laughs> I'm I'm going to. I really am. Uh, let's give myself a deadline. By the next episode? By the next time we talk. All right. L- let me know. You can take bets on if you think I will follow through. All right. If you think that I will do it, comment a, a plus on my most recent Instagram post. And if you don't think I will do it, comment a minus? I don't know. A... How about a corn? 
like the 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 vegetable. I'm staring at my corn candle that my friend Chris gave me. So the corn, if you don't think I'll do it, which is maybe mean. So I hope you believe in me. And there's a lot of pluses. Anyway, Tracy's the best. Clearly, I am so happy that she finally did the podcast and we got to have this conversation. And thank you so much for listening. If you're listening to this the day it comes out and you happen to be in LA and you happen to be free on Sunday, I'm doing a journaling workshop at the Noto store in LA in Highland Park. So would love to see you come. It's free. We're going to be hanging out and I'm going to be doing some journaling exercises. I think it'll be a really good time. I'd love to see you. Please come bring your friends, bring your enemies, bring, um, you know, your, your dog or whatever. I'll be there. It'll be great. And again, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here, that you're listening. If you would like to keep in touch with me, you know where to find me on the internet. This podcast has its own Instagram at let it out with three T's. I'm there as well. They're both me. And I've been writing Substack pretty consistently. So if you'd like to read the one I mentioned in this episode that talks a bit about aging and vanity and bodies, there's sort of two issues related to that recently. And I will link both of those specific issues as well as the Substack generally. And we have something brewing. We have a brand new project that I've been working on called, well, I'm kind of, the name is changing. So I won't even tell you what it's called. Just sign up for the Substack. Come back here next week. Serena, my co-host of Spiraling, was in town today, the day I'm recording this intro. And we recorded a another episode of that show, which will be coming out next week. And, you know, that that's all I got for tonight. It's really late. <laughs> I am recording this intro now, so I don't have to do it tomorrow. And... I'm really grateful to be doing this every day that I get to do it. I, I, I am, I, I can't believe it. You know, it's not lost on me that this is something that I am consistently doing and showing up for regardless of, of anything. So thank you for listening all the way to the end. And thank you to Brianna Bain who edits this podcast. 